Hello. Hello there. Hello. Hello. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey, guys. Everyone's coming. Hello. Awesome. Ah. Oh, the gallery's growing. Yeah, it is. Hello, hello. Hello there. Hi, hello. Nikki's on everyone. Are we good to go? Yep, everyone's in. Thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Inez, hey. and I'm from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. And I wanted to thank you for joining the Batman Death in the Family press room. Um, we received over 240 um, questions, and I'm going to try to get to them as quickly in the time allotted that we've got. Um, and in case you've missed any of the questions, we will have the recording and send it to you later on this afternoon. Uh, without further ado, uh, we'd like to thank the panelists and introduce you to them now, and they are able to answer all of your questions um, you guys submitted this earlier this week. First, we've got Brian Vietti, the producer, director, and writer of the movie. Hey, everybody. Bruce, hey. Hey. Bruce, Hello. Bruce Greenwood, the voice of Batman, and Bruce Wayne. Hello. Hello. Hi, hello. Vincent Martella, the voice of Jason Todd. Zara Fuzzle, voice of Talia Al Ghul. Hey, everybody. And unfortunately, John DiMaggio could not make it. He had the last minute conflict, so he can't join us. Um, just a quick reminder that Batman Death in the Family is coming out on Blu-ray this Tuesday, October 13th. Um, and if you've missed the panel that was earlier today, you can go ahead and check it out on New York Comic Con's YouTube page. So let's get started with the first question. Um, the first question is for all the panelists. Vic from Drop the Spotlight asks, what is the one thing that you want fans to know prior to watching this film? Any of you guys jump in. That it can go places you, it can go places you wouldn't imagine which we, you can fairly say about any of the prior iterations of this, but this goes in, in many directions. Yep, I might add to that too. Uh, I think, you know, through our advertising, we've, we've shown there's, there is a connection to a movie we made 10 years ago, Batman Under the Red Hood. Um, but there is so, so much more. Um, it was very hard to put together promotional material for Batman Death in the Family without giving things away. Um, so we definitely kind of leaned into uh, some of the Under the Red Hood material in our, our promotional stuff, but uh, there's a lot of new stuff. I think that's what I want everybody to know is, is you, you gotta right. pick up the Blu-ray and make the choices uh, that uh, the fans got to make so many years ago in the comics. Uh, you get to make other choices for whether Jason Todd lives or dies and see where that takes him. Um, and it'll take him a lot of different places uh, than we saw him go in Under the Red Hood. So there's a lot of surprises in store that we could not tease, and I hope everybody will enjoy those. Okay, let's move to the next question. This one is for you, Brandon. Um, Michael from Film Speak has two questions. Um, we've seen this choose your own adventure format emerge a little more recently. How difficult is that format as a writer, director to plan out? And do you want to see more of the format in the future? 
it was, it's extremely difficult to plan out. Uh, <laughs> um, in addition to the, the branching, it wasn't just straight ahead riding, it was also connecting to Under the Red Hood. Um, we told such a great story there from Judd Winnick, who wrote the original story for the comics, who, who wrote the script for the movie that I directed. And it was a, a great sort of launch pad story uh, for a lot of the new material in Batman Death and the Family. Um, so I, I tried to kind of use some of that material because it's familiar. A lot of fans have already seen it. That's, that's a beloved story in DC history now. Uh, the movie did well, and I know a lot of people have seen it. So I wanted to just like kind of, you know, jump off of those things that you might remember and then take you in entirely new directions based on some of that knowledge. There's a lot of stuff planned into this story that, that is uh, definitely more rewarding if you're deeply familiar with the Batman universe and specifically uh, Batman Under the Red Hood. So having to track all of that material, um, all of you know the, the knowledge I've learned as a fan and as a maker of Batman stories over the years, um, trying to em employ all of that knowledge, put it into these branching stories so that there's a lot of Easter eggs along the way, a lot of history that is touched on um, was pretty difficult. So I was, I was writing uh, and editing simultaneously. Uh, I didn't quite have the freedom to just go straight ahead and write. I, I was literally editing the movie as I was writing it. Um, so that was very challenging, but I do hope to make more of these. I really, really want people to pick up this Blu-ray. I really tried to make this a, a really entertaining new experience for people. Um, and I, I really hope that this will launch a lot of new movies where we can expand and go further. Um, there's a limited number of choices here, but if this proves to be a really popular uh, story for a lot of people, um, we'll get to do more. Um, so I really hope people will pick up that Blu-ray Enjoy making those choices. Let Warner Brothers know you want more so that I can keep making these. We can all get together and make more of these. <laughs> Thanks, Brandon. Um, next question is for Bruce and Vincent. Nadia from Gotham Geek Girls asks, how did it feel returning to voice these characters nearly a decade later? Um, well, it was, you know, 10 years of, of you know, talking more than I should has sort of has lowered my voice already. So um, it was just trying to trying to find that timber, I guess. But having said that, it was 10 years later and then, you know, your body changes and, you know, we sort of just, just rolled with those changes. But I also want to say something about about the the opportunities that that Brandon couldn't take advantage of in writing admitted however many endings and and alleyways there are when you're when you're writing you're imagining dozens and dozens of things so the opportunity for future iterations of this kind of interaction is so huge because all the things you throw away that you wish you could have put in just because there isn't the space for them if this format if this format delivers the way we think it will it, it opens a universe that's, that's exponentially bigger so yeah yeah i obviously agree with what bruce said and and, and two just um, you know, when we did Under the Red Hood, um, as Brandon was saying earlier, luckily fans really, really enjoyed that story and really enjoyed that experience. And I know I enjoyed the, you know, the, the part that I had in it and being able to play Jason Todd. So even just getting the call, knowing that I was going to get to not only play this character again, but play Jason Todd, um, in a lot of different ways that I didn't get to explore the character in Under the Red Hood. Like this was a really, really cool opportunity for me to, um, 
to explore new parts of him and to, to show the audience um, more of who he is and who he could become. And so it was just an exciting um, experience altogether, I felt like, uh, just as an actor too, to get to really uh, do more with this character. And I had a great time. I, I think people are really gonna respond to it, for sure. Thank you. Next question, Sarah, is for you. Mark from Toon Barn wants to know, what nuance do you give a voice performance that is slightly a different version than the first option of the same scene, but completely changes the context of the outcome? Oh, wow. Um, that's kind of a spoilerific question, isn't it? <laughs> I would say um, you see Talia in a couple different circumstances in this film, and it was such fun to come up with, uh, how do I answer this question without talking about the plot? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sorry in advance, Brandon. Um, <laughs> I will say, in one set of circumstances, there's a more of an element, Talia is a cool customer and she is always in control. I will say that in one set of circumstances, she's a bit more in control than she is in the other. And so finding that, how is a character who's always in control, what does it mean when that control starts to waver? So that to me was that the little nuance of, of difference in kind of two of the sides I get to play of her. Spoiler on that one. Oh, great. Um, okay, we're throwing it back to you. <laughs> throwing it back to you, Brandon, for Rob from the Peak Generation. You've got you you got to have a lot of fun exploring so many what-if scenarios. Do you actively decide to seek out other aspects of the Batman universe to tie into this, or did you connect, or did you just uh, or did the connections just take you? Uh I mean, a little of both. There were there were some that I think came right to me, and then there were some I think as I was kind of going back through and um, rereading uh, old books and stuff, um, some of my favorite material. Um, you know, new ideas were forming along the way. So, like I said, I've been very lucky to get to work on a ton of different Batman uh, stories, from you know Bruce Timm's run on Batman to Lego Batman to Batman the Brave and the Bold. There's so many different Batman stories we've been able to tell at Warner Brothers Animation over the years. And I've, I've you know, been a fan before that. I collected Batman Detective Comics. All of that just kind of flooded into my head for this. Like, what can I pull? You know, what, what can I take um, from the Batman history? How can I turn our audience's knowledge of that kind of upside down, defy expectations, kind of represent things, but in an entirely different and unexpected way? So the, the journey feels familiar but different um, and surprising and uh, might even inform um, some of your your original knowledge your your original understanding of Batman's history or Jason Todd's history um, you know how can I you know respect what came before and maybe get your knowledge about it a little bit deeper a new appreciation of, about how things are in the DC universe as they are today how can I do all of that by exploring these tangent timelines and, uh, you know, trying to get deeper into the characters through these highly unusual uh, circumstances? Um, I think those are, those are great character explorations, but, but of course you can't deny who the character is or change who the character is. It's more interesting to, you know, maintain who these characters are, 
but explore what might happen to them under entirely different circumstances. So I hope uh, people will like, uh, you know, a lot of that history that is included in these stories. We're sticking with you, Brandon. Um, Tim from, <laughs> Tim from um, Bubble Blabber, how do you balance the control you need as a writer to create an engaging narrative with the freedom you want your audience to experience when they want to make their own choice? Hmm. That's a great question. Uh, you know, with the, with the choices, um, I, I really tried to develop choices that put uh, put Jason Todd specifically at at a real crossroads in his life. Uh, so, you know, I I think that still provides a lot of freedom to the audience. I you know, it, it's hard. I think just giving the choice is the freedom. So I don't think I was focusing too much on on you know the audience so much as I was the character. I wanted these choices to be rooted in you know strong directions for the character, strong life-changing events happening where it's where the decisions are are not yes or no. They're much deeper. These are life-altering decisions that you'll have to make along the way. And you'll have to think about them. So to me that was really the the hard part of um, of the writing was coming up with these decisions that uh, are very deep, then coming up with repercussions from these choices that are unexpected. Uh, Cause that was, I think my number one thing through uh, going into this uh, branch narrative uh, interactive experience was I didn't want to just present go left or go right. It had to be much deeper than that. You had to like really think about making the choice and then see that your choices don't always lead to where you think they're going to go. So making the outcomes unexpected and making the choices deep, uh, I think is, is such an important part of uh, the storytelling process to you know, really help you connect deeper with the characters. Um, the, the story had to surpass the gimmick, so to speak. Uh, so, and, and again, that was my, my attempt to, again, draw people into this interactive experience. I really hope, you know, people enjoy uh, these, these decisions and these outcomes. Um, next one's for you, Bruce. Gareth from Skewed and Reviewed asks, since Batman has had so many inter interpretations over the years, how did you prepare to take how did you prepare to do your own take on the character yet stay true to the legacy? Well, I was I was woefully ignorant of the of the superior Batmans that had come before, and in a way, it was it was lucky because I I I, I wasn't I didn't realize how much I had to live up to. Um, so I was just preparing for the for the character as I saw him. And it wasn't, until, it wasn't until later that I realized how many sort of seminal performances had been, had been iterated by other voice actors. And so I was, so there were no comparisons in my mind because I just, I fortunately didn't, I, I just had the good sense not to go there because I think it would have really, I would have, uh, I would have struggled a little bit, frankly, trying to, trying to, evoke certain aspects of other people's performances that that are maybe not organic to who I who I am you know so um, and and originally talking with Tim and and 
dialing in timber and tone and that kind of thing, I was being guided by them as well. So it wasn't as though I came in with a with with something that was immovable at all. I came in with a with you know some pretty mushy clay, and they went, "It's not that shape. No, no, different shape. Try this, and you know, get get here, get there, get where." wherever you need to drift into, they, they helped me find that. So that, that, was a, that was a really collaborative process. Thank you. We're gonna to move to Vincent. Um, Rob from the Geek Generation asks, it's rare that an actor has the opportunity to portray so many different voices, versions of the character in the same movie. Did you have to make a lot of adjustments when shifting between different versions of Jason Todd? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was uh, definitely a large part of the process when recording the film. And Brandon was really helpful with that. So was uh, Wes Gleason, who was uh, helping me uh, while I was in the booth and, and voice directing me. And Brandon did a really fine job as, as he was, you know, discussing in a question earlier of this map that he's created to, to lay out what all these choices mean for all the characters. And you know, when I got into record, he showed me that with, you know, all these different branches and what all these decisions will mean for the character and showed me a lot of the art that he had already had for, you know, how the character aesthetically will change. And then it was a matter of making sure that, um, you know, uh, every one of those choices and how that shapes Jason Todd going forward is reflected in the performance and staying true to that you know, that specific version of him throughout that entire storyline and not, you know, falling back into sounding, no, that sounds too much like, you know, this specific storyline we were exploring earlier in the day when we were recording and, and not falling into those things. And, you know, I'd be lying if I said I was doing it perfectly the whole time. I certainly wasn't. I, you know, it was definitely a, a team effort to make sure and, and keep me on track. Um, but that, in a way, is really exciting and really cool because it's super rare to get a chance to, to play a character in this many different ways. And even just when Brandon showed me all the art of all the different types of Jason Todd I was going to get to play, I got so excited. I was so, so excited um, just because I, I knew so little about how this was all going to look in the interactive element and what that meant um, for what I was going to be seeing until I got in on the day and, you know, we started talking about it. And so I, I got more and more excited seeing every version of Jason Todd that I was going to get to play. Because just as, you know, a fan of animation and a fan of, of being a part of DC Comics, it was really exciting to get to play some of these versions of Jason Todd. That's really, really cool. So just my own excited way, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Sarah, next one's yours. Tony from Sci-Fi Talk. What about Talia Al Ghul stands out the most to you? Um, well, as I mentioned in the panel, I think Talia and Bruce Wayne are very, very similar people, and that's probably why they get along the way they do. <laughs> I think that she is very much a team builder, and she is, um, you know, as a member of the League of Assassins, with the weight of her father's legacy, of Rachel Ghoul's legacy, um, what I always think about when I think of Talia is what does it mean to when you are the successor of something that grand, what do you do to make your own mark on it? How are you different? Do you feel like you have something to prove? Um, so these things are kind of in the back of my head when I, when I think about Talia and certainly when I approached her in this, um, 
in, in Batman, Death in the Family. I think, um, you know, she's obviously very powerful and very intelligent. But I think there's this desire to create whatever the next thing is going to be, um, to go a step further uh, than her father. And so that, to me, comes to mind when I think about her. It's like building her own legacy and building her own team. This next one is for all of you. Um, Tamar from the Beat. In Greek theater, the principle of tragedy is found in the belief that wisdom comes through suffering. What wisdom do you think viewers can attain through the choices and suffering of Jason Todd, particularly right now? That's a really great question. <laughs> um, Wow. Does anybody want to go first? <laughs> That's a deep one. <laughs> so I, just, I just read the questions. <laughs> yeah. no, I think for me, something that I've been, uh, you know, just one of the major themes of the story. Um, and I guess this is always relevant, not just right now, but um, it's just the trauma uh, and experience you get from your family because better or worse, all these people involved are, are, are sort of a, a family in ways and you know especially between Bruce and Jason Todd you know these mistakes that his father figure makes and the mistakes that you know his son for lack of a better word are making really really impact them going forward and, and that's you know a huge theme in the movie and so I think I mean always you know you learn as you especially with Jason Todd becoming an adult you start realizing your parents are people and you know they make mistakes honest mistakes just like you and all of a sudden you have to realize, oh, wow, this thing that they, you know, my parents downloaded onto me, this, you know, I now have to carry because, you know, they've given me their problems. And so I guess not specifically right now, but kind of always in the sense of, you know, coming to those realizations. That's something that Jason Todd is, is certainly facing the whole time. And I, I think so is Bruce uh, throughout this, this picture. Maybe, a, maybe a, simple, a simple way to say it is that choices matter. And the choices that we, that we're given the opportunity to make in a moment where you can't, you can't see the larger landscape, you can't imagine the outcome, you're still, you're still projecting some kind of outcome, because otherwise you wouldn't have made that choice. Um, mm. and, but those choices really matter and they're really dangerous and you can never know and in a way it's it's it reflects what we all go through all the time is that nothing is guaranteed nothing is nothing is given nothing is forever and um we better do our level best to figure out to 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 land on the choice that is the best is too simple a word but that is the most the most right the most, the most human. Yeah, that's really nice. That's really great. Um, you know, going into this too, uh, I think um, again with with the you know very fortunate history I've had working with the the Batman universe, um, psychology is deeply rooted in Batman's world and Batman's characters. Um, his uh, his villains, in particular are very grounded. They're, they're not always about big superpowers. There's a lot of criminal psychology involved, a lot of uh, 
a lot of villains born of tragedies um, that have led them down dark paths. Um, Batman himself is born of tragedy. And, you know, I think he's so appealing as a character because of his, his strength to come overcome that history of tragedy. Um, and, you know, coping with those tragedies, I think is, it's hard to ignore that anymore. Um, I, you know, I, I grew up with superhero shows that, that in books that, you know, can cartoonify that, um, that criminal psychology. Um, and, you know, I think there's also sometimes on, on the hero side, a tendency to sometimes have heroes be able to brush off tragedy um, and get past it and just get back in the saddle and keep riding. You know, it's, it's sort of a, an old hero uh, kind of concept. And I think things are deeper now. And I think everybody knows that. I think these themes, um, you know, to, to the point of the question are just laid bare and out there every day in, in news headlines and in, in the world around us and our friends and our family. Um, these sorts of psychological issues are more well known, appreciated now. And you, you can't cartoonify this stuff anymore. There's a responsibility in portraying it. And so, um, you know, I, I think with this story, with death in the family, I leaned into the horror of it because I, I wanted to have people feel the consequences of, of these, you know, dark choices, dark paths that people face. Um, it's, uh, I mean, I enjoy horror. There's definitely entertainment in horror um, for, for some people, not everybody, but, but look, I tried to also use it, not just as, um, you know, an excuse to put blood on screen. Uh, I didn't want to pull punches. Um, so that when you feel a character going down a dark path and you see the outcome of that, it's more visceral. You feel it more. Um, so I was trying to use horror in a way to kind of deepen the impact of, of the consequences of the character's outcomes and your choices along the way. Um, so, and then also there, there are themes in here of mental health, of healing. Uh, to, to contrast with what's going on. I tried to make sure that that, that counterbalance was there. There are demonstrations of uh, stories and themes that, that demonstrate, um, I think, good mental health practices. And then there are stories that demonstrate not so good mental health practices. So all of that is, you know, it's a root, it, it's the anchor of, of a lot of, you know, big fantastic superhero action. I, you know, this is, I, I really tried to play that contrast well so that it, it doesn't get too, too topical and, and, and overly overwrought with um, feeling stuff, you know, so it, it's got, it goes both ways. I just, I wanted to make sure I didn't ignore that. I didn't want to cartoonify um, uh, any psychological issues, I wanted to try to handle it as best I could in the presentation here. I hope that answers the question. Next one is for you again, Brandon. Um, Jimmy from Saturday Morning Serial. The Joker Live segment has great references to the Dark Knight Returns and the Killing Joke. Are there any meta references you use that fans should be looking for and any you wanted to use that did not make it into the script? Um, 
it's basically Easter eggs. Like what are the other Easter eggs in there? Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's a ton of references to different, not only books, but I mean, movies too. There are, there are, you know, I think some, some, you know, Tim Burton type references in there, uh, Nolan references, uh, Christopher Nolan. Um, I mean, it, it cuts deep. I, I don't want to give all the Easter eggs away. Honestly, I kind of want people to dig in and I'm actually looking forward to getting onto like forums and websites and stuff uh, down the road to kind of see like, uh, you know, what are people picking up? You know, I, I, I tried to just pack it with references from comics and film uh, so that people would be able to watch maybe multiple times and go back and find different things each time. Um, so again, uh, sourcing the history of Batman was a big part of constructing this. Uh, and I hope, you know, fans will enjoy going through and finding everything because there's a lot. <laughs> Thank you, Bruce. Uh, Rob from the, Greek, uh, the Geek Generation. After multiple performances as Batman over 10 years, what have you learned about him and how has that affected your performance when returning to the role? Um, I, I realize now, I think, that I can do more with less. Um, I think my first iterations were um, maybe uh, more modulated than they needed to be. Um, there's a, the subtext is often so, so visible in these scripts that you don't have to, you don't have to work as hard as I worked in the beginning to try and support the subtext. And, and sometimes the subtext can be multi-layered. So if you lean hard on one level of subtext, you're, you're subsuming or smothering another layer, layer of subtext. So um, if I'm fortunate enough in the future to, to do more of this, and, and this is what I found in this last version as well, um, that I think I can, I can rely more on the strength of the subtext within the writing Rather than, rather than try and try and deliver too much subtext in a deliver. That's not to say that I'm going to make it that I make it ambiguous or general, but just that I leave room for more of those layers of subtext to be to be, be visible. And, and having said that, with with Batman being having a more vulnerable human side recently there's I'm gonna leave that alone I'm gonna leave I'm, I'm just gonna leave that alone because I think I I, I'm, I I wanted to work that side of the fence as well and so did Brandon but I think um, I think in the, I think I learned I think I've learned to, to to just lean just lean back just a just a little bit and not and not um, not try and force the subtext. I think that, that's something I was I was doing without really realizing. Thank you, Vincent. This one's for you. you. Know what I mean, Brandon? <laughs> I don't know, man. I just I loved everything you did. That's that's a lot of thought you put into it, and I'm like I'm I'm trying to think of like, wow, did he like overwork something or underwork something? And I'm like, man, I never got that impression. <laughs> well, that's, that's the every performer that you kind of go. God, I was working too hard or God, I wasn't working hard enough or, you know, so you're constantly second guessing it. And when you, when you see it back, you just go, Oh, I'm, 
that's no, that's not what I intended. That's not what I. That's not what I thought I was doing. You know. So yeah. You can never I, get if you have the misfortune to see yourself perform. It, it's never. I love the answer though because I think that really is sort of the artistic process for everybody. I mean, myself included. You know, it, it's uh, there. You you go into it. It, with so many doubts, you're in the middle of it, there's doubts, you get done with it, there's doubts. It's just part of the artistic process. And, uh, you know, I didn't see that side of it for you. I, I don't know if anybody saw that for me. But, but yeah, I, I, that's just that's part of the journey. And I think part of the exploration. And honestly, if you're if that's not part of your journey, I think you're probably doing something wrong. <laughs> I'm nodding very vigorously because everything you guys are saying is resonating so much. And I think uh, Bruce, did you say earlier it's like bringing a lump of clay, wet clay, and everybody helps shape it? That to me is why I love working in animation specifically as an actor because, and animation like. You, it's a collaborative process. You're bringing a part of the character, the character designers, animators, everybody is bringing a different part of it and you're all sculpting this thing together and you're all leveling up each other's work, which is just magic. I love animation. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, it, it helped me a lot to have so much material to work with, um, you know, coming into it because, you know, you guys really brought a lot for Under the Red Hood. Um, you know, so there was something to build on there just from your, your performances. And then Zara, I think, you know, I, it was informative once I finally got in the room with you and, and Wes and, you know, then we were, we were really starting to bring to life a new character. Tally was, was seen in Under the Red Hood, but it didn't have a voice and it was really important for me to, to bring her in. So it was so great to, to get to work with you and, and build, you know, something new. Um, so anyway, carried on with that <laughs> a bit, but but I hope that was a good answer for everybody. So to Vincent, uh, Mark from Toon Barn, has playing Jason, Red Hood made you think about whether you enjoy playing a hero, a sidekick, or a bad guy, or do you like them all wrapped up in one? Well, I think it's pretty rare that you get them all wrapped in one like this. Um, so that was interesting just to get to, to play all those sides. For me, I, I think, of all the versions that I played, I, I probably enjoyed the villain versions of Jason Todd the most, uh, just because they were darker and that's, you know, that was just fun for me to play and explore. And also some of the, uh, as Brian was saying earlier, straight up horror elements in this film, those really pop out when, you know, Jason's on his darker timelines and some of that art and some of those scenes are some of my favorite parts of the film. So I think for me personally, it was probably, um, you know, the darker performances, but that was, you know, definitely interesting for me because I remember working with Brandon and really trying to, you know, at, at points, you know, get him darker. And it's like, no, like, you know, let's really, let's really explore how, you know, how incredibly traumatized he is right now and let's get darker with it. And, you know, what this specific, you know, honestly, crime that he's committing now, you know, what, you know, uh, what that means to him, you know, let's, let's go further with it. And uh, it was definitely a process, but it was really cool uh, getting to play uh, Jason Todd in some of his darker timelines, especially when I got to, to do stuff with, with Red Hood, which I think everyone already knows that. So, you know, it's not a spoiler for anybody here, but that was really cool to finally get to play uh, a version of Red Hood. That was a really, really cool moment for me. I really enjoyed that. 
Next question is for Zara. Um, comes from Tomar from The Beat. In representing diverse actors, how has animation allowed you to branch out and play characters that perhaps you couldn't on camera or in live action as a Muslim actress of Pakistani descent? Wow, great question. Hey, Tamar, good to, to see you. Um, I mean, I think honestly, one of the reasons I gravitated towards animation is because it affords you the freedom of playing outside of your, uh, what you would be cast on camera as. Um, I think on camera things are changing. Things are a lot better now than they were 10 years ago and than they were 10 years before that. I think it's a really good time. I always say it's really good to be brown in Hollywood right now. There's a lot of opportunity. But I think in animation, um, it's, it's complicated because a lot of the roles that I have played have also been women of color, specifically characters of South Asian or Arab descent, Muslim characters. That's kind of how one gets one's foot in the door. Um, casting is happening where, you know, they want to cast authentically or as close to authentic as possible, even in animation, even when it, in theory, in an ideal world, all things being equal, you would judge, uh, you know, you would cast an actor solely based on performance. but. Things are not equal. Things are not all ideal. So there is this push in casting, even for animation, to cast authentically um, to ethnicity and cultural background. Uh, and so, however, though, I, I've loved the freedom. I've played all kinds of different characters. I love when I play anthropomorphized characters. I play a lot of robots. Like, it's, I play a lot of different ages. It's the ultimate freedom as an actor. Um, to to play outside what you look like and i think that transcends it's not just about playing outside your ethnicity it's about playing truly to the extremes of your instrument to the boundaries of your imagination thank you where's this one for you michael from film speak well, i just want my answer to be the same as, as okay Whatever, whatever the question is, I just want that to be my answer. We'll make it work. We'll make it work. Um, so Michael asks, you've come to play so many optimistic men, both fictional and real, in Captain Pike and JFK. How do you approach a character like Batman, who is heroic, but is much more of, but is, but is much more of a pessimist or realist? Um, well, irrespective of whether you're playing um, a, a real historical person or not, I think I tend to, I tend to look, I, I also look at the things that are unwritten and I imagine what's going on behind the scenes for that character and whether, whether they choose in the moment to, to expose how pessimistic they might be or not is that's just a choice, right? So the care, so JFK might've been profoundly pessimistic about his chances to have, to be able to ignore that second letter, for example. He might have been deeply pessimistic about the, the chances for that to work out, but, but couldn't show it. So, so in terms of playing, uh, finding, finding notes that sort of, uh, that you wouldn't expect a, um, in terms of playing somebody who you would think is just all all positive, full steam ahead. I have the answers. 
I don't think I, I don't think I ever do that. I think I always reach into the, the bag of, I, it, it may look like I have the answers, but I don't, I don't have the answers. So you have to sort of, I feel it's sort of necessary to tap into the, the hidden misgivings that any character who's making big decisions might have at any given time. So, and whether you expose those misgivings or not is something else, but I think they're, they're all, they're still there for no matter who you're playing, for me. Unless, I can't think of a character I've played who is absolute, so sort of sociopathic that he never had any misgivings about what he was doing. You know, so, so absent, absent conscience or, or, or absent some kind of empathy that he just assumed that everything that he was doing was perfect. I mean, there are people in, in the public sphere at the moment But in terms of characters, um, no, I try and I try and leaven it with uh, with with both with both those things. If that answers the question. Thank you. We've got two more, and we're gonna wrap it up because we're almost out of time. The next one's for Vincent. Tamar from the Beat asks, like Brian Cranston, when he was first cast as Walter White, people sometimes doubt actors going from fun comedic roles to dark characters. Were you intimidated at the prospect of going from Phineas to a much darker R-rated Jason Todd? Yeah, I mean, uh, the first time I think anyone's ever lumped me and Brian Cranston in the same sentence or <laughs> asking a question ever in my life. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna tell everyone about it later. Uh, <laughs> But hey, you guys, you guys know what happened today? Someone <laughs> asked me about my performance and compared Brian Cranston and I. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> though different, I understand the, the, you know, I understand the comparison, I guess. Uh, no, it's, uh, it was fun for me, because, yeah, I mean, uh, it's much different than, obviously, Phineas on Phineas the Verb. Um, Phineas never uh, decapitates anyone or, you know, uh, you know shoots anyone. Uh, that's not one of the things he does during summer vacation so uh <laughs> we get up to a lot but not that much uh but yeah so it was it was definitely different for me but uh i think all actors like playing you know uh different roles and getting to uh express themselves differently and so i think that's, that's what was so fun about this character is um it is very different than the other animated uh character i'm very well known for playing um but yeah so it was uh it was fun to play the different depths of this character. And, um, you know, I just brought all the lessons I learned from playing Jason Todd to, to Phineas and Phineas and Ferb as well. You know, I, I really brought that, that darkness to every time in the future I'll play Phineas. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see what, it, what effect it has on the Disney cartoon, but um, I'm excited to find out personally. <laughs> Thanks, Vincent. Last question goes to Brandon. Um, Ariel from DCTV News, what are some of your dream DC properties that you'd love to adopt, adapt as a animated movie one day? Hmm. <laughs> too many, too many. <laughs> I've worked, oh boy, I've been lucky to work with a lot of different characters in the DC universe already. Um, through all of the different projects I've I've worked on, and it's it's too difficult to list one. But I I would say that 
I feel um, there's, there's more to do in this world that we here today have built together um, to get to work with Bruce again uh, for Batman. I, I want to do more with Talia. There's more story, so much more story with Jason Todd, with Vincent. I want to keep doing these. Honestly, I, I feel like, you know, this could be the start of something. I, I think we, I, I'll speak for myself, but I, you know, I felt just lucky to do Batman Under the Red Hood with Judd Winnick and, and everybody that helped uh, create that. It was so incredible to go back into it for, for Batman Death and the Family and revisit that and go in new paths. There's more story there. And so I, I hope that might be in people's minds when, when uh, they think about buying Batman Death in the Family. I don't want to over, overly sound like a salesman here, but I do want to say, please buy this so that we can continue to make these, not just the interactive, but I, I really hope people continue to love this world that we have built together um, because I would love to go back into this world, this particular story that we've built with Batman and his universe and his world and these characters. I want to do more with this. There's more to tell. I'll second that for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and on that lovely note, thank you. Thank you to the panelists. Thank you to the press. Um, if you guys need anything, you know where to find myself, it's Inez or Gary. Um, so don't hesitate to reach out. Um, we're here if you need anything. So have a great rest of the afternoon and the weekend. Thanks, everyone. Okay. Okay. Thank, you. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank Thanks, you, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> you going to take us out, Ruth? Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just play us out. Yes. You take us out. Take us out. Please. <laughs> Okay, go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. See ya. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. That was fun. <laughs> that was.